You're listening to LGR, Liberal Guilt Radio. Coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger-Golden, and I'm joined remotely by John Darden today, and we're going to talk about JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass. Was that okay? That was great. I love that. <laughs> I love we're okay, in the Handsome Studios. We're here. All right. Excellent. How you doing, John? It's been like a year since we've spoken. I know. It's a, it's a holiday tradition. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy I'm happy to reconnect with you again and I'm happy to talk about it and it's honestly it's nice to talk to someone who wants me to talk to them about it and not just me talking at people who probably don't necessarily want me to talk about it you know yeah exactly our families our moms and parents and like <laughs> whatever's are they're all sick of this shit <laughs> I, I I did make a family member watch the the film last night and today that we're going to talk about um, and so I'm literally doing that <laughs> Nice. Yeah, we watched. So JFK revisited through the looking glass is like is Oliver Stone, who directed, of course, 1991's seminal masterpiece, masterstroke of a fucking genius ass movie, JFK. This is his like documentary where he's like going back and doing a documentary about how fucking right he really was all along. Yes. <laughs> and yes. to a certain degree, I think he was. And we'll uh, and we'll dive into that. And um but yeah, so this is the movie. Like, uh, we've been waiting for it for a long time. It's uh, directed by yeah. Oliver Stone, yeah. and like, and James Diaginio, who we'll talk about too, wrote it. So, yeah. So you've convinced a couple people to watch it. My wife and I have watched it. I made my parents watch the original JFK movie, and I, they had never seen it. But my dad thought it was cool. Mom was not too into it. But yeah. So. But now we can set aside forcing other people to watch it. We can actually, two experts, break it down. What does this movie mean? So yeah, what did you think of the flick? I mean, of course, of course, I uh, am a huge fan, and uh, I, I think it the first time because I've seen it twice now. I think the first time I watched it, I thought, you know, I'm hugely into the the the, the JFK conspiracy and and the the, the history of what happened. I, I would consider myself like someone who is irrationally fixated on trying to figure out the true history. And, um, but, and I've been anticipating this movie and when I watched it, of course I loved it, but I was also like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of in the weeds. Mm-hmm. It gets so, sometimes it gets so in the weeds. And then uh, upon an, a second viewing, I sort of realized that, I mean, just how crucial some of the intricacies are that they're trying to do. And I think that the reason why the film is so at times microscopic on certain issues is because they're trying to uh, make very specific, logical, factual points, knowing that people are going to pillory and hatchet job the film, you know, in their reviews and their criticisms. And so they're going above and beyond to try to make it to make it clear these points they're trying to make. Um, and so I would recommend the film to people, but I'd also encourage people to be patient because if you're not sort of well-versed in some of these, these issues, like it may seem like, why are we spending five minutes on the staircase at the Texas school book depository? Like, why does that matter? There's, you know been rumbling, I mean? there's been rumblings about that in like the JFK community for years. Like there's just been this rumbling, oh, somebody's got somebody on the record that proves in the staircase that there was a conspiracy. So yeah, and, that, and that's in this film too. Yeah, I, I think it does go into the weeds and I think it should. And I think um, 
one of the things that this does is the original film JFK is good at like using the Clay Shaw trial as like a narrative device to learn about the the event, you know, because mm-hmm. it's the only the only trial on it. But I don't think that Clay Shaw is actually the real villain of this piece, even if he was involved. But there were guys who were the villains that Garrison was trying to cast Clay Shaw at. And I think that this particular documentary allows Stone to take that framework that he established that I do think is true um, about what the CIA was doing in the Caribbean and how it probably killed the president. Um, but, But now he can point it at more specific people who we've learned about thanks to the work of people like Jim DiGenio and thanks to the the records and review board that has been open because of the movie JFK. So we can look at people like George Giannides, who we didn't necessarily know much about back in the day and see how that kind of got, that guy fits into this possible conspiracy uh, way more than someone like Clay Shaw. So I think it's, um, it, it allows them to go into the details that I think we sort of need if you if you really do buy into to Stone's case, I guess I guess he makes. Yeah, it. I think it's more of a compelling case as presented here than it is presented by the Garrison uh, uh, trial of Clay yeah. Shaw. Yeah, or by the movie. Yeah, by the, the movie JFK, yeah. which 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 sort of uh, dramatizes in a in an and, I, and I'll sort of and I mean I know I st- my first answer was maybe bearing the lead in some ways, but. Just if you're if you're trying to get your head around this conversation, JFK, the original movie, is a fictionalized version of this trial in in '67, I guess ish. Yeah. Uh, maybe that maybe that date's 60s, wrong. Yeah. Late sixties. Yeah. It started late in maybe '68, something like that. Yeah, and and then this is a documentary that's expanding on the central conceit of JFK, the feature film, and that central conceit was that. John F. Kennedy in uh, uh, November 22nd, 1963 in Dallas was not killed by a lone gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository, but instead was killed by a conspiracy uh, of people who uh, uh, or were in ostensibly the CIA and uh, the military industrial complex. And, and that was like Stone's thesis that was sort of projected through the JFK fictionalized, dramatized narrative feature film, but in this documentary, um, and because of the Assassination Records Review Board, which was um, essentially after JFK caused such a hubbub about the JFK case, um, Congress passed a law that was trying to declassify a lot of the documents that were withheld from the public. And these are documents that were um, that were discovered during the House Select Committee on Assassinations, which was a, 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 a congressional um, attempt to investigate the assassination in the 70s. And so a lot of that was classified. And after the film JFK um, got so much attention, some of it negative, some of it positive, won a couple Oscars for editing and cinematography, I believe. Um, Warped the minds of many young men, myself <laughs> included. <laughs> yeah, you could say that Lee and I have been our product sure, of the film. I'm sure plenty of like QAnon people like started out with this movie and it brought them down the rabbit hole. But 
Yeah. That's, well, that's look, a whole different story. I know. Yeah. Well, I, I want to get into that too, but, but yeah, before, let's get, stay with the basics though. Before we get to that, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll finish that thought by just saying that I totally agree with you that this documentary allows Oliver Stone to present a lot of factual information that he was criticized uh, for making JFK because in a narrative feature film, you have to condense characters, combine characters, you have to make a narrative arc and change certain things. And, and even though I think there was a lot of truth in the film JFK, of course it's open to attack because it is a movie. No one knows what certain scenes or moments in life for people said, and you have to write a script that is not fully, uh, that is somewhat imagined. I would is say the right? movie, yes. I would say JFK, the 1991 film, is truth, not fact. Yeah, there's, there is absolute, uh, there's, a re there's a lot of research behind the film, and there were a lot of reasons for the choices made in the film. Yeah, and him but, and Zach Sklar, they released an annotated screenplay that they they look at, they show you every single thing that they say, and they at least back it up with something. I have it. It's great. It's out of print. If you can find it, get it. I am, Lee, I'm on your side about JFK. I'm just saying to even the people, <laughs> even the people who've tried to sort of knock it, I'm acknowledging that, like, of course, it's a feature film. It's a dramatization. Yeah. But nonetheless, in this documentary, Let's go to Joe Anides, the man you mentioned. This is hugely important. In the 70s, Congress thought the Warren Commission didn't do its job and that there was some conspiracy angle. And Congress investigated the JFK assassination. And Senator Schweiker and others believed that the CIA was involved in Kennedy's assassination, which was the same hypothesis that Jim Garrison had as DA of New Orleans. Um, and the CIA uh, named a liaison to the House Select Committee, a point person. So which every time the House Select Committee needed to go to the CIA for documents or information, they went to this point person. And they made a deal. Robert Blakey was the final uh, lead prosecutor after Tannenbaum and, uh, and Sprague were kicked out. And, and a deal was made that the CIA would provide someone who was not operationally active in 1963 to be the liaison for the House Select Committee on Assassinations. And they told, uh, uh, they told the House Select Committee that George Joannides was just some old CIA dude who was not active then, when in actuality, he was a psychological warfare operations person who was working out of the JM Wave station in Miami, where a lot of the people involved in the assassination were, and was specifically running the DRE, which is an anti-Castro Cuban group, specifically the anti-Castro Cuban group who that Oswald tried to infiltrate, and though th that that Oswald fought uh, in the streets of New Orleans and debated publicly yeah, on in, TV in a, and radio or something. Yes, right? yes. In other words, um, this guy Joe Anides was knee deep in the entire Oswald operation. And then he was surreptitiously inserted into the heart of the House Select Committee investigation to thwart and the investigation. And I think that, and credit here to Jefferson Morley, the Washington Post, a formerly Washington Post reporter who excavated this information and, and sued the CIA. Um, and, and 
this is revealed very clearly and plainly in the, the Oliver Stone documentary, JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass. And, and so, yes, to your point, there are many, and we're, we're going to get into these, there are many concrete, uh, and if you look at all the criticisms uh, of this film, no one will mention George Joannides because there are certain things that you would never touch because they're so self-evident and obvious. And that's one of them. Lee, I, I know we're in agreement here. It's just funny. And, and I give major credit also to Diogenio because yeah. he is, his work is the driving force beyond, behind this behind this documentary. I mean, it's clear. And that's always been Stone's tack. It's like he, when he was in the case in the eighties, like he was on all about Garrison's book on the trail of the assassination and then Jim Mars and that he based his books on, right. on Crossfire and that. Yeah. And I, I think that Diogenio is a way better source than either of those. So he's also working with, with better material here. And, and at least in terms of like the research that it's, it's based off of. Um, and, you know, if there's, there's anybody who comes close to convincing me that, that, the, that Stone's theory is correct, it's Jim Diogenio. And it's because he, he brings that like deep research into the specifics of what the CIA was doing in all of the different little mini theaters of operation that all of this shit was going down in. And the level of detail that he has, like the, the movie, uh, uh, the doc through the looking glass, like you get a lot of his, his research in there. But if you listen to like his black op radio stuff or go to um, Kennedy's and King, Kennedy's King. Yeah. They've changed it. So it was Sitka for years. They changed it. So he says, but then, and then his book destiny betrayed a, another great fucking JFK, JFK title destiny betrayed. Right. Mm. Um, he goes even deeper into this shit. And, um, and that's the that's the four hour title is uh, JFK revisited Destiny Betrayed. Oh, so this is okay. This is part one of Destiny Betrayed, or, or this this is a two hour edit uh, that that we're talking about a two hour doc that's on Showtime right now called yes. JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass. But there's going to be a four hour version that is uh, divided into four hour long segments. I that's going to going to be released on demand that's going to be titled JFK Revisited uh, Destiny Betrayed. Respect. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. Excellent. Well, yeah. So credit to credit where credit's due. And I think you were, you were messaging with, with Mr. DiGenio or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's very, he's active. I asked him to look at some of my work once and he, <laughs> he went off on me. It was pretty funny, but he's, he's cool. He seems cool. I, well, and I, I commend you for 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 wanting to to get your work seen, and even even if he did, uh, you know, because I know you have at times been somewhat agnostic. Is that that's, fair or is unfair? Yeah, I would still. That's still my thing. I still can't quite call it either way. You know what I mean? Not that anyone's listening. Come on, to me. let's do it tonight, Lee. Come on, Lee. Let's yeah. break the seal. You know, I well, I guess I have given my opinion on inside jobs, whether or not it was an inside job or not. But I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, so I'll yeah, tell you well, what's the point of playing softball. If I, if I really want to like get some criticism about this, why give it to anyone except Jim Diagenio? No, no, you know, I like think... get thrashed <laughs> by him. You know what I mean? Well, and, and you're, look, I want to also verbally uh, agree with you that um, Jim Diagenio's research 
um, and his work on the film is is absolutely spectacular. And honestly, like the the guest columnists on Kennedys and King and mm-hmm. the work that he does, um, absolutely academic and interesting and and worthy and 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 uh, an amazing amalgamation of research. And you're talking about Garrison and Jim Mars and and truly, mm-hmm. if we ever get ahead in in science or in any sort of study, it's because we're standing on the shoulders of the giants who came before us. Right. And I think that he's a great he's a great student of all the research and he has a great memory and a great way of collecting all of it. And what I did was the producer, uh, Rob Wilson, uh, and, uh, Jim Diogenio, the writer of this documentary, uh, and also Lisa Pease, who is another great JFK and RFK researcher. Um, I'd recommend, uh, her book about RFK, um, really definitive, but, um, they're sort they of were, like research partners. They've done they've done books together and stuff. Like they think that the whole site is run by the two of them. So yeah. she's a major, majorly influential and hardworking person in this community. And that's another thing I like about this doc is like people like her and Doug Horn and Cyril Wecht and, and all these people who might not get the shout out because everyone calls them crazy conspiracy theorists, you know? And a lot of them are very wary about being in documentaries usually because they always feel like they're hit pieces and they're going to get fucked with. And that's why you never see Diogenio in much shit because like he's, he'll say it all the time. Like you, you got to be careful what kind of documentaries you're going to be in. But Stone, and I hate, I hate that I'm going to say this, created like this quote, safe space, unquote, for a lot of these mm-hmm. researchers to come out and get the credit that they deserve. So whether or not you agree with these conclusions of of stone or the individuals in the film i, I mean I, I highly credit the work they do and and the stories they tell and and, and the things the things that they bring up in in this um in this documentary but yeah you're right they yeah i mean i give a lot of shit to mars and garrison but look garrison here's the thing let's just say this oliver stone i would say is an american hero he went and he like left his cushy Yale school and went to go fight in Vietnam. And then he came back and became like this crusader for, he's always just like on, the, you just feel like he's on the right side against war and all of this shit. And he's just like a talented filmmaker. And he made this movie that, that changed the world and also released all of these files. It was truly a heroic and brave thing that he could have ruined his whole career considering the forces he was fucked with, he was fucking with and how hard they tried to fuck him back because they tried to do the same thing to him that they did to Garrison, right? Yeah, they did the exact same thing. Sorry, Jim I don't Jim Garrison is also an American hero. And I do, but here's the thing. I feel bad for Clay Shaw. I kind of think that Clay Shaw is an American hero too because Clay Shaw kind of went down so that we could have a trial and get people uh, like the autopsy doctors on the fucking record. Get the Zabruder film on the record. The, the, Clay, the trial of Clay Shaw, whether you think it's a sham or not, is one of the most important legal proceedings in the entire history of our union because it brought so many important historical uh, um, uh, interviews and, and exhibits into the record of, of, you know, of America, what we own as our, as our history. And whether or not like either Clay Shaw did it and fuck him or Clay Shaw was just like a nice playwright business guy from New Orleans who gave, you know, he talked to the CIA when he came home, either way, he went down and we got all of this, this stuff. We wouldn't have the Zabruder film if it wasn't for the Clay trial trial, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, a couple of things, right? One, Garrison was trying to prove that Clay Shaw was CIA and 
now, uh, you know, in the documentary that we're talking about, uh, it's reported that Dean Andrews, the famous reporter who was played by John Candy in the film JFK, told, told researcher Harold Weisberg that, in fact, Clay Shaw was Clay Bertrand, but that he couldn't reveal that information until after Dean Andrews died. Um, also, I don't think it's in the documentary, but it is in a lot of the Jim, Jim DiGino uh, work, the idea that it's been proven through declassified documents that Clay Shaw had three separate CIA clearances, um, uh, one for uh, project codename Amspell. And I think that, you know, the, the general, the lie was that Oswald had no CIA and FBI and O&I connections. That was the lie. That had to be preserved at all costs. And what Jim and Jim Garrison, the DA of New Orleans, figured out real quick, Oswald had connections with David Ferry, who had CIA connections. He had connections to Guy Bannister, who had CIA, O&I, and FBI connections. And according to the documentary, American Nazi Party connections. Um, yeah. and, he accidentally and he, unraveled what was actually going on in this country. It's so he, crazy. He was right there. He was right there. And look, there's a lot of connections between, look, here, let's let's get into this, because this transitions to the question you initially asked me that I didn't answer. There's a lot of connections. Uh, the tentacles of the people involved go to the intelligence community, the military community, the, uh, the aerospace community, <laughs> the idea of like, the, the fact that we absorbed so many Nazis in Project Paperclip, that's that's a whole another thread. There's a lot of tentacles to this, but I asked the producer, the writer, and Lisa Peace a question on Twitter when they did an open discussion about JFK Revisited. And I asked them if it was a specific, and here's what I wrote. I wrote, was it a conscious choice not to get into alleged asset names in Dallas? Shooters, spotters, red herrings, and so-called called Big Event Confessors, in parentheses, E. Howard Hunt, David Atlee Phillips, Morrow, Robert Morrow, Nagel, Richard Case Nagel, Morales, David Sanchez Morales, uh, Madeline Brown, Madeline Duncan Brown, etc. Um, and their response to me was, actually, Jim responded, and Jim, the writer, Oh no, the quote tweet is gone. I don't know what happened there. Uh, he said it was a conscious choice um, and that there will be more answers in the, this is from memory now, there'll be more answers in the, an expansion in the four hour version, nice. but it was a conscious choice not to get into like that nitty gritty of like James Files. But those guys are the, whatever. yeah, well, James, those guys that you met, like, uh, did you say Gordon Novell? I didn't mention Neville, but he's, oh, okay. uh, but he's another one. Yeah, it, people like that, that we should really be looking into more than Clay Shaw. Like, here's the thing. Yeah, Clay Shaw had dealings with the CIA. There is an interesting moment in the movie that I noticed on the second viewing, because the first time I watched on my laptop, and then the second time I'm like, I just got this new projector, so I'll project it on the wall and watch it. I've seen the Zerbruder film on right. the big or screen. is It was fucked with my brain. But anyway... Um, I noticed when they were showing that whole thing about, oh, Clay Shaw was a CIA agent, they bring up this document, they scroll over and highlight something that says Clay Shaw was a CIA contact, and then the narration says CIA agent. So hmm. I'm like, I'm still, I'd like to take a deeper look at some of those documents uh, and see 
really what it does say about Clay Shaw. But that those documents, because Stone made the movie, the documents got released. Because the documents got released, a lot of things that people said Oliver Stone and and uh, Jim Garrison were crazy for saying were actually true. Was there like a smoking gun, like picture of a guy on the grassy knoll, like winking at the camera, shooting the president from a different angle? No. But the fundamental big lie, which is we don't know who this fucking guy is, and he certainly didn't have any connection to us, was revealed and is basically a historical fact that they knew who this guy was and they probably could have stopped him. And if they didn't tell him to do it, it's still kind of their fault. And that's yeah, the truth, I would say. I think that there is abundant evidence and there was enough evidence to Jim Garrison. Garrison was hot on this trail. There's abundant yeah. evidence that Oswald was, and this is what, I guess, what Senator Schweiker said, had fingerprints of intelligence. And that's a yeah. quote from the film from Senator Schweiker. Yeah. I think that you can't have this many connections with this many CIA agents, assets, contractor, whatever, you you know, there is where there's smoke in this instance, there is fire. But did and, Oswald made the, make the fire himself from his own smoke? That's the real question. Well, and I, and I would say this, absolutely 100% not. And, and I, <laughs> okay. and, I, and I'm, well, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm basing this on another a massive, important revelation in this film. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which is that if Lee Harvey Oswald was shooting a man liquor Carcano with 6.5 millimeter, whatever, 6.5, I don't know what it is, uh, inch, millimeter, rounds. Millimeter, yeah. Yeah. From behind, mm -hmm. how did he shoot President Kennedy in the neck from the front? It's impossible. It didn't happen. Someone shot Kennedy in the neck from the front and from Kennedy's right front side, which was where the knoll was when he got shot in the temple. And I think one of the biggest revelations in this film is from this guy, Jim Gokenhauer, who uh, spoke with Elmer Moore, who is the secret service agent in charge of investigating the assassination. One of the and, biggest dipshits in history. I mean, all of those Secret Service guys, I could go on for hours about like fucking how hard they fucked this up. The Ivy League charlatans debate, as it were. Elmer Moore admitted to Jim Gokenhauer that he pressured Dr. Malcolm Perry to change his opinion yeah. of the neck wound being an entrance wound from the front that would make it impossible for Oswald to have shot it to an exit wound which only in the, in the most sort of, uh, it, only to people who aren't paying attention uh, does the magic bullet theory work. And it only because Gerald Ford and Arlen Specter moved Kennedy's bullet wound from the third thoracic vertebrae down from his neck up to his neck to pretend that it was a back to front, um, back of his neck to the front of his neck. When in actuality, he was shot through the in the front, people have said they saw an out to end bullet hole in the windshield. And Kennedy, you can see in the Zapruder film, take both of his hands, bring them to his neck because he is shot from the front. Dr. Malcolm Perry admitted to people later that he was pressured to change that front entry wound into an exit wound or into an ambiguous thing. Yeah. 
He also did a tracheotomy that expanded the wound that allowed some of the, uh, the guys doing the autopsy in Bethsaida to plausibly not think it was an entry wound for a little while until they called to contact him and he explained what he saw. But this is the important thing. This Secret Service agent admitted that he was ordered to pressure Dr. Malcolm Perry to change this wound from an entry to an exit. If it's an entry wound, it could never have been Oswald's unless you believe Oswald was in the second floor of the book depository drinking a Coke while he was in the sixth floor shooting a Manlicker Carcano that was later found as a Mauser while he was in front of Kennedy's uh, motorcade shooting him through the windshield. Oswald couldn't do that. You know, even if you think Oswald was pulling a trigger on the sixth floor, he didn't shoot him from the right front temple. He didn't shoot Kennedy in the front. And I think that that fact, if you're, if you're, if you're actually listening, if you're actually watching, it's self-evident that the Warren Commission's magic bullet theory is on its face a farce and that even if you didn't know that they moved his middle of the back wound to the top of his neck to try and make it plausible. Even if you thought a bullet could go through his neck and into Connolly's wrist and leg, even if you believe that's possible, it is impossible for that bullet to then be pristine and have no damage. That's ridiculous. And that is the mainstream belief. So every time you hear someone say, this debunked Kennedy conspiracy, acting like it's, you know, again, gaslighting people who see clear as crystal that there is no way a bullet could go through two people at multiple points of entry through multiple bones and literally have no indentations. And that's shown in the documentary that every time they test shot a bullet just into someone's wrist, like went into Connolly's wrist, not even counting it going through Kennedy and other parts of Connolly's body, that those bullets crumbled. The tip would always crumble because it impacted bone. This magic bullet has zero impact. It is impossible. And, and I really honestly, I worry. <laughs> I worry about the sanity of anyone who believes that story. And I know why they believe it, because people they trust have told them that. Because the textbooks have told them that, right? Trust anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm certainly no one who's writing books about the medical evidence of the Kennedy assassination. Forgive that rant, Lee. Forgive that rant. <laughs> I wanna, no, it's fine. I just want to, then let's, let's take a look at if that is an entry wound at the front and not just a trach wound. Yeah. Then let's draw a line. Where's that coming from? So- Let's ask the next question. So who, yeah. where, so where is it? Where's the shooter from the first, from the next shot? Yeah. That's a great question. You know, I, I, I don't recall, and this is not helpful to any of us, but I don't recall the source of this, but I remember someone saying obliquely, and I wish I had remember the source. I remember someone saying to understand the bullet trajectories you have to understand that one of the shooters was at the same level as Kennedy was. So in other words, I think that inference is that someone was ground level near the overpass 
Um, so someone would have had to be, okay, so it was at the same level as Kennedy. So basically someone would have had to be standing in the front of the motorcade pointing a gun well i mean i'm not i'm not saying in the street i'm I, I'm not getting, <laughs> i don't know exactly you know what i mean i'm but just look, trying to figure it I out think, well look 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 i think that if you were right inside if you were right so the way the structure of the street is uh the the street the elm street that he's going down like goes very shortly after the dealey plaza ambush site you go under an an underpass where above sort of a street is going or, or a highway is going the stemmons freeway entrance and then there's or something yeah yeah and 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 i would assume and look i don't i'm not i haven't plied this out but if if i'm speculating now it's possible i think that someone could use that overpass as cover and use that shadow to be near the interior of one of those walls which would have been on the same level um but I don't know, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, it gets really fans fantastical when you're like the storm drain or this, yeah, or the that. X, that's the X-Files theory, but you're saying like somebody under the, like the underpass, like could have been like hiding in a column or something like that, or popped out someone, someone tosses him a rifle from a truck. Like Julianne Mercer says she saw something like that. Yeah. I don't know. You know, what I do know is this, like, I, I just like those 3D models when they like model, they just show, you know, they just show you on TV. You know what I'm saying? Because that's like, that's what Mr. Joe, that's what Joe TV is going to look at is like, what is on, what are you going to show him on TV? And that's how like the aspects of the war report that are bullshit have passed as bullshit for so long. You know what I mean? And the irony is like, people say like, oh, the, you know, believing in, QAnon is just like the new JFK conspiracy, blah, 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 blah. When it's so hilarious because it is literally through the looking glass. It is the opposite. Is the government was committing crimes and conspiracies, even if they didn't kill Kennedy, they were killing all of these other elected officials elsewhere. And um, the conspiracy, yeah, the conspiracy theory is that we weren't doing that. And so that's kind of getting to like the gaslighting that you're talking about. And um that's really what we're talking about is mass uh, media manipulation of millions of people. That's what the Warren report was. That's what the movie JFK was. And that's like what's going on now with people's like fractured reality. And a lot of the, we talk about the hit pieces, like all of these hit pieces popped up 20 years ago or 30 years ago, <laughs> Jesus Christ, when JFK came out and all these people went after Stone. And basically, not only did they like disagree with him, but they they made it out like what he was doing was wrong, that it was wrong. And that to me was so odious. And we're seeing a, a little stench of that now, that odor return. <clears throat> but I think it has become so clear, even if there's still doubt about who shot Kennedy and from where it's so clear what the government was doing and how complicit they were in the events that day that it's just like an uncomfortable historical fact you know it is <laughs> and offensive and, yeah it, it is and the, the fact that no one no one in the federal government has ever, and I'm not saying they should has ever like apologized not for the assassination of Kennedy but for telling people for years they were fucking fools for questioning this official story when as as is revealed now many members on the committee itself 
wanted to write a couple, at least a couple wanted to write dissenting opinions. And this is something that I didn't really know about until I first started listening to some of those Diagenio interviews with what's his name? Len Osanic on uh, Len Osanic. And, and yeah. let's give, let's give a shout out here to black op radio yes. with your host, Len Osanic. I, I knew Len Osanic, not personally, but I knew him because of his interviews and sort of interest in L Fletcher Prouty, yeah. who, you know, I think I probably mentioned inspired the last X. Yeah. He's one of the, the composite people that inspired for the, the Mr. X character in the original JFK. And he's like the Donald Sutherland character who tells Costner, like, you know, here's what you really need to know. Like who took away the protection and who benefits and who would do this and why. Um, but Leno Sanic is, he, you know, I highly recommend that show because he does a great job of getting really interesting people who, I mean, incredibly interesting things. Every time I listen, I'm like, why am I not taking notes? I know that makes me sound crazy, but I re-listened recently. I was just mentioning Jim Gokenhauer, this guy who, yeah. uh, who was explaining how Elmer Moore told him this in the extended interview on Black Op Radio with Jim Gokenhauer. Mm-hmm. He expands and he says that Elmer Moore said to him, I know for a fact it was not the Russians, which that is one of the tactics that's being used against JFK through the looking glass, JFK Revisited. They're saying um, that this is Russian disinformation and they're the, the latest document dump, they're dragging out the same old bullshit that Oswald met with like the Soviet assassinations coordinator in Mexico City. Or called put it on whatever. the commies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, this is that was Reagan's Moore. tack too. Reagan was always trying to throw it on. He's like, "Well, he went to Russia, and of course, right, right. Russia. Well, that's so like we probably sent him to Russia. That's why. Whatever. That's, that's what happens when you create a a, a, a legend for a, an an asset. And you put like fools like Reagan in place to reinforce the national legend. And and look, I think we're fundamentally agreeing broadly. If we're not going to agree on trajectory necessarily um because well so th- this is the the explanation i'm just going to lay out hey, the hold, explanation. hold on let me let me let me just yeah. finish this thing which is that sure sorry no no you're good you're good remember this thought i just wanted to uh say that uh elmer moore said jfk was a traitor full stop he told gokenhauer this is the guy in charge of the secret service investigation of kennedy's assassination he said full stop JFK was a traitor. This, you have to know this to understand the mentality of James Jesus Angleton, the mentality of Alan Dulles, the mentality of Edward Lansdale, the mentality of David Atlee Phillips. This is the mentality of the men who operationally plotted, planned, executed, and covered up this assassination, which is that they believed that Kennedy was a traitor because he signed a nuclear test ban treaty with Russia and because he wanted to go to space with the Russians and share space technology. And he wanted to do all these, he, all these things that, that, he, that he did not support their invasion of Cuba via the Bay of Pigs. He didn't give them American forces, that he did not support their overthrow of foreign dictators to benefit mm. American corporate interests. That stuff in the, the Lumumba stuff in this documentary yes. is yeah. heartbreaking. Yes. It is the footage they show of the man before his, his just like brutal and 
dis <laughs> discourteous murder, uh, assassination, execution, and then the the vivid descriptions of uh, of JFK's response because you see this this youthful new order trying to emerge in the 1960s. And there was men like Lumumba and like Kennedy who might not have agreed, and Castro, who might not have agreed on everything eye to eye, but they saw themselves as the next generation of leaders. And um, there were men like James Jesus Angleton and Dick Helms all the way up to the yeah, fucking top yeah. uh, who did not feel that way. And it's similar to the, to, it's to kind of just the debate about like, the destiny of America and whether or not it will be betrayed and who, who defines it. You know what I mean? And it, it's kind of the argument that conduces to this day where it's like, if we look at America as a place in potential decline and you, and you see like what Obama was trying to do, which is with his pivot to Asia diplomatically is tell the rest of the world, like, yeah, we're still America, but like we are interested in kind of returning maybe to that more Kennedy-esque approach to foreign policy that might end up in a, in a joint Mars shot or something like that. And so to a degree, the MAGA shitheads are right in, in pointing out that like, well, Obama does kind of, he doesn't want America to be great again. It's like he doesn't want a Pax Americana. And then there are still people in this country who still want a Pax Americana, who see it as ridiculous that for uh, uh, 80 years, we could have had a Pax Americana and we haven't. That That's the mindset of this, of, of a lot of people in this country then, and still to this day, is that we have the power, why have we not used it? And that is what frustrated men like those men at the CIA, because they saw all the power in the world and it was in the hands of this <laughs> rich boy, dilettante, pussy hound Catholic who was in charge of the country. And it very well looks like there might, they might've just fucking whacked him in the street. Yeah. And let's add to that list. Um, William Harvey. Bill. My man, Bill Harvey. I love Bill Harvey. While Bill Harvey, who was the CIA liaison to the mob hit teams. Mm -hmm. And that is just a fact. And he was asked to reach out to the mob hit teams to try and take out Castro. But in all actuality, the same secret team in all likelihood um, was deployed in Dallas in 63. And we're also talking about David Morales and Frank Sturgis and, and George Joannides, who we mentioned and, and Cord Meyer Jr., uh, who, whose ex-wife was having an affair with Kennedy and who was shot, his ex-wife was shot in the back of the head a year after the assassination in an unsolved murder. And, and we right should know these names like we know the name Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, I mean, if you're like, if you're, if you, look, no one can explain, I cannot explain why I have this passion about this subject, but I, I feel extremely, I feel so strongly that, something terrible happened and people were not brought to justice. And I, I am extremely passionate about that. And it, and it comes out in me, me being fascinated, like learning that Cordmeyer Jr. was allegedly running uh, Project Mockingbird or Operation Mockingbird, which is the CIA's control of major media, which later- you uh, bet your ass is continuing today. Exactly. But later, Carl Bernstein uh, uncovered and wrote about in Rolling Stone saying that the CIA pretty much owned every major media asset in the States. Cord Meyer Jr.'s wife was having an affair with Kennedy, was shot in the back of the head a year after the assassination, unsolved. After she's killed, two men descend upon her house to find her diary. 
Those two men are Ben Bradley, editor or editor owner at the time of the Washington Post, and James Jesus Angleton, uh, counterintelligence CIA specialist who was the one man, according to the JFK Revisited documentary, who had all of the Oswald files because he would have been in charge of dangling defectors that we sent as a dangle. And let's just get straight to another point, okay? To the garrison point, to the point of Oswald being in New Orleans the summer of 63, it's impossible that Oswald was an actual communist, was an actual Marxist, when he's literally hanging out with all of these right-wing CIA people that he's training and 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 they were sort of. See, I think Oswald was playing both sides because I think Oswald was both sides. I think to a certain degree he was kind of like a, a right wing guy, and to a certain degree he also was kind of like a communist utopian. And I think that's why it's kind of hard to get a read on the guy. And Oswald is the kind of dude who, you know, there's that famous picture of him that's like I don't know if it's a mugshot or if it's like his his like soldier ID shot or something, but he looks like. They show it in the movies. He's, he's very young. I guess he's in the Marines and he looks like beat up. It's part of it's the picture, but also part of it looks like he's a guy who scraps and scrapes. And it really gives you a sense of like just what I, you know, if what you're saying is true, that he was this like scrappy guy that they were just like, let's let's prime him up and send him out. Let's like send him to Russia. Like that is a um, that's a terrifying idea, right? Um, it goes to ferry. It goes to the Civil Air Patrol in which supposedly there is no connection between Lee Harvey Oswald and David Ferry, between Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby, between Lee Harvey Oswald and Clay Shaw, between Lee Harvey Oswald and Guy Bannister. In fact, he's directly connected to all those guys who are all like connected to intelligence. This is the and, book that proves it right here. Like that for years they denied the Clay Shaw and like in, in this book. They there's a picture of him that Bob Grodin produced, which shows them together. You, you've seen that. Yeah, I don't know if they show in the movie because they don't really go into Dave Ferry too much. But no. again, like this thing that like everyone like said that Garrison and Oliver Stone and all of us were crazy about um, about Oswald knowing uh, Ferry turns out to be a hundred percent true. There's just like a fucking picture of them sitting, uh, you know, standing in the same same in, area at, together. When when Oswald is in the Civil Air Patrol, and the reason I'm bringing this up is. People are like, come on, man. Like Oswald was doing this communist shit back when he was like in the Marine barracks and stuff. Like that's the kind of okay. show that you would make. Like when, if you're, <laughs> it's the kind of ostentatious show as if you're trying to create a legend. And what I'm saying is Oswald as a young teen was mentored by David Ferry, CIA pilot. Like the idea that Oswald would be recruited by the CIA at a young age is is buttressed. Is that the right word? I don't know. Supported, buttressed, <laughs> buttressed, buttressed by the fact. Damn, that, that is he, scary. I don't know if I believe that though. I'm telling <laughs> like, you, like child child I'm, assassination soldiers. Well, um, we don't know. We don't know if it was an assassination soldier, but look, he fairy pretended to be a marine recruiter to get Oswald to join the Marines younger. So he like masqueraded as a Marine recruiter to Oswald's family to help him join the Marines early at 17. Um, and 
I'm telling you that it would surely seem, and there's also evidence that, or at least according to De Eugenio, that right after the assassination, Ferry started calling all the Civil Air Patrol people and asking them if they had the picture that you're talking about of him and Oswald. He was immediately trying to cut and sever that tie. And, um, you know, once Ferry's name got in the paper, he dies mysteriously of a heart attack or they claim. See, like, I, I think they would have got a I think they would have got a way better shot at a conviction with Dave Ferry than with um, but he's Clay Shaw. But he's, he's dead. Gone. Exactly. He's, and Garrison needs to keep the momentum going. So he shifts to Shaw. He was an ancillary player, and I agree. He's an ancillary player, but you know they have this—they have this event where Clay Shaw and Oswald go to Clinton, Louisiana, and they get seen by all these people together in this black Cadillac. And he's undeniably connected to this network. And the CIA, look—they—they they have to protect this network, whether or not people are involved. Wait, last, wait, last time you said Clay Shaw had a Rambler. <laughs> Did I say, well, look, the, I will. Or Ruth Payne had a Rambler. We know that. Ruth Payne had a Rambler. Uh, People can search this, but this Clinton, Louisiana thing, like they went and they're cut out of the original movie. They shot some stuff for JFK 91. And I think it's in maybe it's either on the Blu-ray or it's in the like director's director's cut. Right. They do have some footage of it. And let's give shout out to uh, Tommy Lee Jones uh, <laughs> for his performance. Also, we, wait, you and I, this should be a project. We should hunt down one of Clay Shaw's plays and produce it here in Los Angeles. Oh, Florida. man, I didn't know that he was a playwright, too. You said that earlier. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. You, okay, anybody who's, one, you know, we should all give Clay this Shaw is kind of, his due. This is messed okay. up. This is messed up. So, like, I, I, you want to talk about puff pieces. There's the best and and. Jim DiGino would, and any of these people would thrash through this book, but uh, James Kirkwood's American Grotesque is uh-huh. this puff piece that he wrote basically for oh, um, yeah. Shaw, for Shaw at the time. And, um, and these were two like-minded men, you know, uh, Shaw was a businessman, but he was, you know, he was a, a theater guy and Kirkwood, of course, is a, you know, he did the, chorus line and was in a time where still we weren't quite like recognizing gay voices kirkwood was like clearly a, a gay voice who was expressing himself and you can see it through through chorus line right and he had this special kindred connection with clay shaw and you know i i always thought badly of clay shaw but i don't know this puff piece kind of worked on me i love james kirkwood i was in i had i was a cut dancer in chorus line so i'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little bit you know uh uh in favor of kirkwood but i just i do feel like one of the patsies here is clay shaw i do not think clay shaw was like sitting around with a map of the of dealey plaza um anyway no, no, he, I, I don't. He was a patsy, I think, too. But I, you know, he was, look, he was someone who was connected to the network that became operational. And so, and again, we're, it's hard for me to, to fault Garrison because I just, to knowing now how right he was yeah. when everyone was wrong. Like the fact that he was that close to this network, you know, and I look, I recently read about how Shaw actually went fishing for someone to write his story. And 
That's and, probably how we found Kirkwood. He was just like, he was like, who's cool and young and gay who will like like me and will write a nice book. And that's what, and and I believe that's what happened. And and this was sort of, I think this was in an article about deep breath, John. Uh, one of the people who wrote a hit piece on this new documentary mm -hmm. uh, is a professor of history at uh, Louisiana State University, which is where I grew up. I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, um, and this person also teaches a class on the Kennedy assassination at LSU. And, um, and she wrote this, this uh, op-ed that was uh, put in the Washington Post last month. Um, and, uh, um, and it's a complete hit piece. And she's also written a book about how Garrison's entire investigation was completely fake fraud and, and all driven by his own homophobia. And she's building it all from American grotesque. And, um, and so that's like, it, and that's like not even in American grotesque either that like, well, I mean, I guess the whole accusation of they're using the homophobia angle is the fundamental thing. I think that that's a distraction. Um, I don't think it's not that, true. Well, it yeah. doesn't, it, it's, it's the thing like, is, was there underlying homophobia at the time that certainly did not help Clay Shaw? Yes, that, that is true. Like, I, I think that as a, as a prominent gay man being put in the spotlight like that, I think uh, that definitely was a factor. And I think that um, I don't want to get too deep into like, into into that kind of stuff but i i don't think it helped him let's put it that way i don't think attitudes towards gay men at that time helped him right um that's true and, and I'm, I'm trying to find the exact quote but i just want to point this out because i because while we're talking about this okay in in this 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 opinion piece that got published in the washington post as their first response and i'll talk about their second response too that came out a couple of days ago but um she says that the 91 film advances an argument that a perverse group of New Orleans-based gay men working with CIA affiliates were instrumental in the assassination. And then, then she says um, it's like it's that because they're gay that they do it. I mean, it's like, it's so <laughs> ridiculous. It's not homophobic. Like it makes the movie like interesting and in an angle that you don't see in movies that does like add to like the weird, these guys that you see as these like macho dudes in other movies, you know what I mean? Like seeing them be like being like gay in this underworld. It's like, it's kind of a different topic, but it is an interesting thing that like was very shocking at the time, I think. And we had not really seen in a movie portray that. And it is a definitely, it's a dynamic that is undeniable in this whole Clay Shaw case that I think just going into it like she does muddies the water. Because well, and, and, yeah, go ahead, sorry. It's just, it's an interesting part of the whole story, but it's not really essential to anything, especially not why this trial happened. It's, 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 it's an amazing obfuscation and shiny distraction and who is it supposed to work on? I mean, like how many people are like, who, who well, but, are but look, this voice, this voice was elevated by the Washington Post yeah. as a timely response. No, I just mean back in the day, like back in oh. the 60s, like who was, the, who was basically like, I guess, were they trying to convince the New York Times reading set? Like, well, if the guy who wrote Chorus Line says it's okay. Well, I guess he hadn't written Chorus Line yet, but but anyway, um, well, let me let me let me say this. Yeah, because I think this is ridiculous. OK, she says. Given the well-documented homophobia within U.S. intelligence agencies, including the draconian steps the FBI and CIA took to purge their ranks of suspected gay men and lesbians. Right. Has nothing to do with this. Makes it <laughs> making it extremely unlikely 
that either agency would have relied on a cabal of gay men in New Orleans to plan the assassination. Now, a couple things wrong with that, right? Number one, no one has, has said that the planners of the assassination were Clay Shaw and David Ferry. The argument was that maybe Ferry was a getaway pilot and Clay Shaw was hanging around with Oswald New Orleans. And, and secondly, she's sort of inferring here that it would be impossible for a gay man or woman to be in the employ of the CIA. Well, we know that's on its face false because of the existence of David Ferry and Clay Shaw and the logic that of the CIA and every other intelligence agency will utilize anyone who can possibly yeah. help them. Oh, and they would, yeah, they would use gay men to honeypot other men. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. what, what are you talking yes. about? Use all types of people. That can be, you know, historically one of the most compelling pieces of compromise is to get material on and somebody flip, that they might And be... flip someone. Exactly. I And so that's why I think that on space, like, the, the, and there's what a lot of- What she's saying is kind of homophobic. I don't want to get into finger pointing back and forth, but like, stop making it about this. I mean, it's just- Well, because that's her book and that's her angle, but I was just shocked that this voice was elevated. And 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 this, you're bringing this up. So I'll, let me just say this, address yeah. this real quick as I hijack this, Lee, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. You know me, I read I read everything. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll read both sides. Like I'll read the puff piece about Shaw and then I'll also read Destiny's, Destiny Betrayed. Right. Well- It's all interesting to me. In her, uh, and I'm talking about November 22nd, 2021 by Alicia P. Long, professor of history at LSU, author oh, of yeah. Cruising for Conspirators, How a New Orleans DA Prosecutor- <laughs> no, see, that is fucking homophobic, what she just said. Cruising look, for conspirators? I'm t I know, I know. Oh now my look. God, that's offensive. What Whatever. she's done and what, uh, what Max Boot, Tim Weiner, and a couple other people who've now put out attack pieces of this documentary have done is- they have very prominently connected anyone who asks questions about the obvious conspiracy to murder JFK, and they've conflated that with QAnon and all other conspiracies. And I think that there is an argument, we can have a discussion about how like trust was lost in the government after the Warren Commission whitewash of the story. And I think that's valid, but yeah. I think there's something very insidious about taking a documentary that goes to great lengths to prove systematically, forensically, that the murder did not happen as they say it was, and also that the narrative legend of Lee Harvey Oswald is not actually the reality of who that person was. And to take that and then go, that is the equivalent of people who think JFK Jr. will miraculously drive down Elm Street and, and be alive, or that, and, and there's a whole host of things that QAnon believes, and, and that, to conflate that with JFK. And then of course, people will throw in other conspiracies that I may or may not believe in, but they'll conflate that with aliens or 9-11 right. or vaccines. It's like how you can't bring up another, you can't like bring up like a previous like case in someone else's trial or something. Isn't there some like rules against that? Like you can't use some other trial in another guy's trial or something like that, or a guy's trial for something else. Like that's the thing is, and they've been doing this for years. It used to be the alien stuff. Well, if you believe that there was a cons conspiracy theory about JFK is true, then right. you also believe in aliens or whatever. And maybe I do, Dad. Right. And like, also, you can also believe in UFOs, but not necessarily believe that aliens were flying them or something. Uh. You know. You know what I'm saying? So, the, like, and and the, to presume that you can just do that with other people's thoughts and then use that to just 
excuse or dismiss whatever it is they have to say as patently ridiculous is intellectually offensive and nonsensical. You know what I mean? Like, how would that woman feel if we just said, well, you know, someone that you quoted believes something else, so you believe that, and therefore I'm not going to listen to you. It'd be absurd. We've been, we've been shamed. Or just decide no. that she thinks, that we think that something she said is the same as something else, and then declare as fact because of that thing that we think subjectively we shouldn't listen to what she said. That being said, we should not listen to what she said because what she's saying on its face is untrue and no one should read anything in the in the Washington Post because they are they were a CIA front, but then they got bought by Amazon. And if you think that Amazon isn't friends with the CIA, then you got another fucking thing coming in your brain. Yeah. And, and you know, let's let's talk about let's let's if I may bring up Operation Northwoods. So. Right. This, because this is what we're talking about, okay? We're talking about the gaslighting of the American public, which is to say, you know, you idiot. The government would never kill the president. The government would never blow up a plane and pretend it was another country. The government would never do this or that. Because of the release of the 1991 film JFK, and because that film ends with a title card that says the documents about the assassination are locked up until 2079. And that was the final punctuation of that film. People were like, holy shit, that's fucked up. We got to get those documents out. So they created the AARB. And one of the docs that came out in the AARB is this document about Operation Northwoods in which the Joint Chiefs of Staff had already agreed on a plan that involved a bunch of literal false flag attacks in which American intelligence would attack Guantanamo Bay, would attack American ships, would attack, would pretend to have a bunch of a drone plane, would have a bunch, have a bunch of CIA people. And this wasn't in the doc, but the part of it is that they would have a bunch of CIA people pretend to be spring breakers, get onto a plane, land the plane, have them get off. Have another plane pop up with the that that like had the radio signature of that plane that was a drone, fly it near Cuba, blow it up, and have a radio broadcast, like you said, of a pilot going, Mayday, Mayday, Cubans are attacking us, all to uh, force America into war with Cuba. That is what these people who think Kennedy's a traitor, it's because he didn't, they believe invade Cuba when the Bay of Pigs was starting to fail because he was lied to, which is proven clearly in this documentary, because he didn't go to war with Russia when there was a Cuban Missile Crisis. All For these reasons, they thought that Kennedy was a traitor and that they, they thought, they believed they were the American patriots by killing the American president. And yeah, I it, wonder if like you're real, it, are there people today who were like, Clay Shaw was a fucking hero. You know, are there people like uh, he kept his mouth shut, right? They they would say he they would say, you know what you do, you keep your fucking mouth shut like Clay Shaw, or you'll end up like David Ferry, or you'll end up like George DeMorenshield, who was one of Oswald's handlers in Dallas, who wrote George H. W. Bush and said, "I've been talking to too many people, I'm in trouble." Day before he's supposed to testify, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, Bill O'Reilly kills him, shot, not killed, not I don't, (laughs) as far as I know, did I mishear that? Wait, wasn't Bill O'Reilly there? Or he said he was there? 
Bill O'Reilly like falsely is claimed Bill O'Reilly did some good packages on Antonio Vesiana back in the day for yeah. hard copy and right. then completely flipped and wrote this bullshit book. Um, but he did, he did a package on hard copy where Antonio Vesiana, who was one of the anti-Castro Cubans, I believe he was running alpha 66, but I can't be positive, but he, he said he hung out with Oswald and his handler. And he said his handler was codenamed Maurice Bishop. He did a sketch with a sketch artist of the handler. And then he said the handler, Maurice Bishop, was actually CIA covert um, uh, mastermind, David Atley Phillips. Then he recanted. And then on his deathbed, right before he died, he released a statement that said, yes, it was David Atley Phillips. Okay. David Atley Phillips confessed to one of his family members when he was dying over the phone while crying. David Atley Phillips said, yes. I was in Dallas on November 22nd. E. Howard Hunt, while dying, said David Atlee Phillips was one of the CIA guys involved in the big event, Operation to Kill Kennedy. So many of these things, like- Operation to Kill Kennedy, the code, code, name, code name, the big operation event. Operation to Kill Kennedy. No, 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 the big event. The big event was the code the name. event. Yeah, no, I, I love that title. What a good one. Those these CIA guys were like, okay, <laughs> all right. I'm sure the CIA spent thirteen thousand dollars coming up with the name for the operation. Hey, look, I don't know if this. I know you. You seem to be, and I'm not really. I, you're asking me about like shooter placement. I don't know. You know, yeah. you're asking about like who's. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I was reading a new file, James Files book. No. <laughs> look, James look, Files. listen, listen, listen. Just listen. He claims that in it, because I always, I watch his videos and I was like, okay, so you're a mob guy, you know, like he claims he, in addition to being a mob guy, was a CIA contract guy and that his handler was David Atlee Phillips. That, I don't know if it's true or not, but I was like, that's kind of crazy given everything we know about the assassination. That's all. I just wanted to say that point here, you know. I haven't listened to anything with James Files in years, but I don't know. I, he, he never seemed credible to me. It's me. I, I wasn't. I wasn't sold, and I'm still not. But I just thought, knowing now what I know about David Atley Phillips confessing to a family member in tears, and David Atley Phillips being fingered by Antonio Vesiana and by E. Howard Hunt, and supposedly. Judith Barry Baker, Oswald's girlfriend in New Orleans, the summer of 63, says one of the last conversations she has with Oswald uh, two days before the assassination, he says, I want you to remember David Atlee Phillips. Um, and I believe she, she said Bobby Baker too, but I don't know, maybe that, I know David Atlee Phillips. Um, to me, that's interesting because if Atlee Phillips is running Oswald, if Atlee Phillips is running these guys, um, and look, David Atlee Phillips was the station chief in Mexico City, which oh, is where all this bullshit with yeah. Oswald and they're trying to like there's say that the dad from Married with Children was Lee Harvey Oswald in those pictures. <laughs> right. There are these pictures, these pictures supposedly of Oswald in Mexico City that are of completely different human beings. Just some like big bulking, bulking dude looks nothing like him. Yeah, I'm sorry to people who, if you've listened this far, I guess that I shouldn't apologize to you because I guess yeah, you're, no, you're, you in, know what's you're up. in it, but you're in like, the case. We're in the weeds a little bit, but, but like, 
you know, look. Well, everyone's gone over the basics so many fucking times. You know what I mean? How, how often do we need to talk about where y'all Ralph Yarborough was sitting? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it's time to get into the, to the nitty gritties to get past like the pageantry. There was yeah. one hit piece that was yeah. talking about um, how Oliver Stone's movie basically like metastasized as the public consciousness understanding of what happened that basically the movie itself was so influential hijacked brains that it like kind of hijacked history and became part of history they blame stone for like creating some kind of weapon that has been now misused by priming the pump of the american mind to believe uh that there are darker forces at work um and I've been reading uh, Edward Bernays's Propaganda, which uh, I've always like avoided this book because I've, I've heard it's just like him kind of essing his own D about all the great work he's done. Um, but it really makes you realize what a great piece of propaganda in the like literal propagating of information that people might not know uh, the original film JFK was. And um I think that I'm not one of those people who blames video games for Columbine. And I'm certainly not going to be one of those people who blames Oliver Stone for um, this QAnon horseshit, which has taken JFK because JFK is the sort of blood cult of the American uh, mythology and used it to add some sort of like holy <laughs> sanctimony to their ridiculous uh, the ridiculous endeavor that that relies on the the emotion that we have for uh, for this historical event. You and I, like our parents, you know, were alive. I assume your parents were alive then, so they were yeah. like the first orphans of Camelot that were like influenced by this tragedy. But it's it's managed to like pain us too and traumatize us too. And I guess you could say that like Oliver Stone's movie is part of that like in the same way that like in a totalitarian state like you know north korea like they'll make you watch some kind of opera about how great the country is and it's like oh fuck this like oliver stone created kind of like the american version of that in in a way and like yes i think it is a piece of propaganda but it is a piece of like public propaganda like on its face he's he's telling you exactly what he's trying to do with this film and and i think he's an american hero and i think he's pure fucking heart and like uh i think he's a brave dude you know what i mean and um yeah no i'm i i 100 agree and uh and it is fascinating to see people write these hit pieces that you know calling him calling it nonsense, calling it deceitful. It's literally saying the latest Washington Post thing is by Max Boot. And it says, why does Oliver Stone keep lying about the JFK assassination? I'll tell you what's really funny, okay? And I read this piece today and it's, it's, it's absolutely laughable on its face, but what's fascinating is Max Boot is a well-known author, writer. He wrote a book lionizing Edward Lansdale the Air Force general who was a secret covert CIA um, 
propaganda, psychological warfare, and foreign coup uh, mastermind who was imported to the CIA from the ad agency community. All of those guys were those guys were Bernays acolytes, and like I don't bring that name up by accident. Like what we're talking, and like later he he reclassify what he what they did as public relations but it, it but it's the same it's the same thing it's using the newspapers using film to to direct what it is people think is happening in the world around them and i think that's what's so scary right now is that like it used to be that only governments could do that and then oliver stone proved that a filmmaker can do that and now what they've proved is that just like one person with a 4chan account can do it. And I think that is really what the powers of be are afraid of is that this like Bernaysian ability to use media to influence public opinion that he was using to a topple governments in Guatemala, but also, you know, uh, uh, sell whatever uh, meat there was a, a surplus on that year, you know what I mean, by psychologically invading people's brains, that that was the, um, that that technology can now just be used by some dipshit with an account saying that like, <laughs> I'm an insider and I know what's up and like, I'm fucking Q and like JFK's going come back and uh, uh, I don't know the difference between JFK Sr. and JFK Jr., um, but it's going to happen. Um, and I think that's really what fucking scares people. And, and it's I, not, yeah. Well, I'm just gonna say, and it's to, to sort of distinguish the point I'm making from the idea of an anonymous 4chan or 8chan post. And that's yeah. the thing is there's a lot of stuff that's just, well, I don't know if that's true or not. You know, it's hard to prove. Mm -hmm. I can tell you my sourcing on this. Um, L. Fletcher Prouty, who was the uh, origin for Mr. X and JFK, along with, I believe, uh, Richard Nagel, um, yeah. who both talked to Garrison. Um, Prouty had found a picture from Dealey Plaza right after the assassination of a man walking by the three tramps. He mm -hmm. sent the photograph the ring. to Lansdale's ring. Yeah, to Lieutenant General Victor Krulak from the U.S. Marines. And he said, do you recognize this man? And Lieutenant General Victor Krulak responded to L. Fletcher Prouty, what was Ed Lansdale doing in Dealey Plaza? Okay, Ed Lansdale in charge of decapitation of foreign leaders and psychological warfare. If he is in Dealey Plaza, that's a good indication of the people involved. Now, Oliver Stone used L. Fletcher Prouty, obviously as Mr. X and in the movie JFK, and there created a, a type of character too. Like that type yes. of character is now like a archetype of film. And there's a placard in JFK where one of the generals who's uh, discussing potentially taking out Kennedy, you can see partial, a part of the name on the placard. And that is like Dale or Dale, S. Dale. Yeah. It's, he calls it's him a General reference. Y in the yeah, movie. It's a reference to Ed Lansdale. And what I'm saying is, you look at this hit piece that came out two days ago on this JFK revisited documentary. Who are these people who writing these pieces compared to Alfred Fletcher Prouty? Like Alfred Fletcher but, but Prouty look, actually was a cold warrior. Who the fuck are these people writing these pieces? This, this guy wrote a lionization of Edward Lansdale in Vietnam and completely missed the story that Lansdale was one of the masterminds of this assassination. And now he's writing an article calling 
Stone's film, a liar, deceitful nonsense. To me, there is something going on there that I, I would like to give this guy credit that he's not that stupid. To me, it feels like this guy's doing the bidding of continuing this narrative of the cover-up. And, and I, hope that, I hope that it's being, I hope that anyone listening, that this is becoming obvious to people because I think the games are up. I think that people are waking up and they're realizing, I was, I was at the dentist and one of the people working on my teeth said that her and her husband recently watched this film, JFK Revisited. And she said she just came in at the end, but he was watching it. And they realized after seeing the final part of the film about Vietnam, the way in which JFK was withdrawing from Vietnam. And then the second he was killed, when he was still lying in state in the rotunda, LBJ slashed through the plans and started sending in American troops and making plans to escalate, which then led to the fake Tonkin attack in which the Tonkin resolution was written before the attack and then led to this full-scale escalation. So I think that people are waking up and, and I we really saw don't... it again in our lifetime. Like we saw it again, like the, the reason rack. why this exactly the reason why this is so important is that it wasn't stopped. JFK tried to stop what we were doing, which was a was a corporate imperialism. Yes, well said. Masterminded by the intelligence apparatus and executed with the help of organized crime and domestic surveillance to slowly but surely take over not just not the hearts and not the lands but the minds of the world and part of that was was killing people and part of that was um was psychological warfare was psyops and basically because they were able to keep doing this shit even after after kennedy died even after the committee, the church committee, House Select, all of this stuff, even after the, the Assassinations Record Review Board, that they just basically, the CIA took bullshit intelligence to go and assassinate a world leader and take over his country. I mean, I'm not saying, look, Saddam Hussein was a piece of shit. I'm mean, like, I'm not going to say like, I'm sad he's gone, but like we conducted a psychological operation on our own people and convinced people what was happening. And it's interesting. I, I sometimes I listen to old classic love line on the, mm. on, on iTunes. Interesting. And, and it's <laughs> interesting because it's like in the nineties, like in the nineties, you know, I was listening to this as a kid, but now it's like um, the episodes have come up to right after nine 11. And you just hear like people on the radio, just like, and Dr. Drew and Adam are saying like, well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear from this evidence that like, they're, you know, trying to get nukes and they're trying to get us. So I guess we have to go in. And you, you realize like, that's a stupid example, like a TV doctor and like the man show guy on a radio show in 2002 or whatever it is talking about this. But I'm like, that is, that's like what we're talking about is like the CIA goes out and they plant this evidence and, or they get this shitty evidence and then they give it in these congressional committees, like who are, you know, on the intelligence committees so that are reviewing all this. And well, I guess the CIA says they're doing these WMDs. So they're probably doing WMDs. And then Dr. Drew listens to that. And uh, he talks about it on a radio show and a bunch of kids are watching a radio, listen to a radio show. And then they go off and they join the war in Iraq. And then we're hanging the guy. It's the yeah. same game, but that psyop that we, you know, Edward Bernays was figuring out how to use to, to uh, you know, stop the commies from getting Guatemala or even convincing us that there were commies in Guatemala um, was then used on us 
we saw it happen in real time in our lifetime. So it's not stupid to, or crazy or deceitful or lying to think that maybe that also happened in 63. It happened in 63 and beyond. And you can look no further than the way Garrison was pilloried with all these mockingbird assets in the media who attacked him for fabricating information, for uh, for dishonest uh, investigation tactics. There was nonstop attacks on Garrison. And then also the way that Richard Sprague and Bob Tannenbaum, who were the initial attorneys running the House Select Committee on, Invest in, uh, on Assassinations, were run out of town. Spray would have gotten to it, would have gotten closer. They were, they were on it, and they were run out of town by, by, by mainstream media. Like I believe it was the New York Times that had like a series of articles attacking Sprague until eventually they forced him out. Because Blake, what happened- Blakey was, like whether Blakey believes the mob did it or not, Blakey is the guy who put the mob canard out there. He's the guy. He's the guy who, because of his dealings with intelligence leading up to this uh, assignment on the House Select Committee to replace Sprague and Tannenbaum, because Blakey trusted the CIA, he had no. He never questioned Joe Anides, and he never wanted to push any avenue that they didn't want to explore. But they but brought the umbrella to- in. They made the umbrella testify. The, is, I mean, look that footage where they bring in Lewis Stephen Witt, Lewis Stephen Witt, the weirdest, weirdest troll in history, or a guy with a dart gun or a signal op. I mean, I would say, I would say that like the guy with his fist up is a signaler. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what's the deal with the umbrella, but like you, there's pictures of the guy, the guy sitting down with a, a radio. He's got a big radio with an antenna sticking out that there are pictures of the guy with his fist up next to the umbrella guy. They sit down after the assassination, guy pulls out a huge radio. Now, I don't know, maybe it's like a receiving radio and he's listening to the radio, or maybe it's a walkie talkie, but it doesn't look good, you know? Yeah, I I think those guys would have cleared out. I think those were just some dudes sitting around. But um, look, here's the thing. I I think that not this documentary alone. I think if you look at the, 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 the documents that have been released and the the good reporting that's been done on them and the research that's been done um, by folks like the Kennedys and King folks, mm-hmm. you see that because we got these documents and because we got them thanks to the work of um, of Oliver Stone. And I do want to point out in the movie that he calls JFK our film. He doesn't say my film. And that, I think that points to the kind of guy that he is, that he does have a, a for the community spirit in him. So I think that well, I'm still not convinced of the fact that the CIA ultimately pulled the trigger. I think that thanks to what we've learned and how, and and, and I think if you want to see it summed up, th- this movie is a good, this documentary is a good way to sum up what we've learned in the last 30 years about the case. And I think that anyone who says, I firmly believe that the CIA was uh, intricately involved in planning and executing the assassination of Kennedy. I, I don't think anyone can besmirch, make fun of, laugh at that person. I think that what we know now makes it <laughs> Good luck. Good pretty luck. clear that that is a very reasonable perspective to have.
Well, just like last year, we were enjoying our conversation with John Darden so much that we decided to break it up into two parts. So we'll see you on our next episode to finish up this conversation with John Darden on JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass. The theme to today's program was Spy Perfume by Skip Heller's Hot 7. But right now you're listening to Secret Agent Rock by John Bartman. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next time.